So vanilla bear, you went to see it again. Yeah, man. The movie that you said might top Fight Club. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. And I uh, can confirm. Can confirm. That's a affirmative. That's an affirmative. I uh, so wild. Okay. So second time around. There's two or three things that stood out for me here. Okay. Let's hear them. Um, Things that I've learned to explain for myself that I'm okay with, or I, I figured things out that I didn't previously. Okay. So this isn't a super important part, but little tiny little details that I did not pick up in the first one, like when she steps down on the ledge in the very beginning with the octopus guy coming at her. Yeah. Um, and it turns into a star in between all the concrete. Did yeah, not all- notice that. Yeah, all of her little power yeah. manifests and, and yeah, stars. It's sweet. Yeah, I just didn't see that one, and I'm like, okay, Sam Raimi, you got me. <clears throat> that one is I, so subtle. Yeah, but yeah, it was that very, so very well subtle. done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two, I am totally fine that Wong gives up the location of the place because he's just going to die anyway. He might as well let it linger out and hope that Strange gets there. If Strange was there, he would have stood up to her. Well, I mean, it's... That's the theme. I think it's obviously much more to the effect of... uh, I don't think Wong would have minded really dying there. I don't think that he would have really cared. It's the fact that he was willing to torture and kill uh, the other people that were there with him. Right, but a lot of the points I've seen is that Wong just gives them up after like a tiny bit of torturing, and I'm like, no, you don't, you don't whatever. You guys don't understand what's happening with. Torturing. Oh, people it's love fine. complaining about about. I, I got I got something to say, but like people love complaining about this shit. Hell yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, whatever, grow up. He was just gonna die anyway, so what's the point? Um, and you got to have a movie. Let's remember this, people. Yeah, yeah something could just ended there. Yeah, <laughs> come on. Um, three, and this is the part that made me not like it all the way last time. Like, if I'm giving it a pick score, it was a 97 or 98. Okay, that's really high. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Um, America, I figured out like where she learned actually how to control her power. Okay. When she punches the glass it took me a minute to figure that out that makes sense because her face even looks like i wasn't even angry but i did it that was kind of yeah that makes a lot of sense (laughs) yeah i like that if everything goes through her punch or kick all she has to say is i want to go to this place and punch right all she was thinking about in that time frame was i want to get out of this box yeah yeah so I'm good with the, it's not, it's no longer an ending of, oh, all of a sudden she can do this. No, it was a, con- a lack of confidence. And Strange is like, no, you got this. Go to and town. And severity. Like, all she had to do was put herself back in that, like, uh, yeah. mindset in order to do it. Yep. So can confirm. Excellent watch. Um, now, what do I you, knew it. Ten minutes you- in. Done. What do you say about the uh, 
about all the people that are talking about how it's character assassination on Wanda, that it does undoes everything that she had learned in WandaVision. That's wrong. Have they ever learned what grief was? I, what is I this? Just don't think about things. She just <laughs> murdered her husband. How would you feel? <laughs> I think that people just don't think about things because I'm like, I'm like, hold up. You're telling me that the girl that held an entire town hostage. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, she did that. <laughs> and got away with children. It, and got away with it scot-free. She did. That's true. And the only thing that we see after that is her reading a cursed book. <laughs> but there's no way she became evil. That That's we know. Just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> that we know does horrible to people. Even if you don't know the comic lore, though, and you just see somebody sitting there straddling in the middle of the air reading an evil book, don't you just think it can't be a good thing? Wouldn't you just a normal person watching a movie? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so whatever. Wouldn't you think that the next time you saw that person in a movie, you'd probably be thinking, "Oh, they're probably not going to be the good guy." <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> whatever. I think that people were so hung up on the idea that it was going to be. Uh, Wanda and Strange teaming up. Yeah, yeah. And that it wasn't a... Like I said, I thought that the entire time there was going to be like a bigger threat that was going to come in and, and they would team up at the end. The thing, the fact that that didn't happen uh, turned a lot of people off on the wrong way because, you know, they just want their heroes to remain heroes. Dude, there's multiple lines in this movie that will be remembered in the Marvel Universe going forward. And that's a good thing. Like when she says her name and she, before Strange even says something, she's just like, you never told me her name, did you? Oops. That was too easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like... I like to imagine that she was like, oh, I'm going to really freak him out right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, that was calculated. She was like, I've, I, I, I'm, I just want to mess with Dr. Strange a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, Cubs, welcome. Two bears coming at you. Chocolate bear. How's it going? It's going, dude. I ran over a kitten last night. Well, that's sad. It was so sad. It was so sad. <laughs> it was so sad. I can't, like, it's one of those things that's like, I feel so bad about it and it's such a foreign feeling to me because I don't hunt like I don't I have a horrible story about killing a mouse whenever I was like 10 but that was a science experiment right <laughs> right yeah, yeah you know yeah I've never killed an animal before I mean I, I read, I, <laughs> dude this little cat that walked in front of the car and it, I swear to you, it looked at me and it didn't, this is at night. It did not look at my headlights 
vanilla bear. It looked at me into my soul while I was driving. And then, yeah, I think I'm going to put it in Not a it. game and <laughs> I'm going to put a little gray cat in a D&D game somehow so that way I can honor its memory. My God. All right. Well, so I'm dealing with that. How are you? <laughs> I'm a little bit of that. <laughs> I'm not feeling great. You know, it's been a couple of rough days being sick, but I'm at the end. Nice. Fighting it off. It went through that, uh, went through that this week as well. Yeah, it's one of those things. Your um, butt makes you look like you're a member of the, uh, what is it, Assassin's Creed? Yeah. This is my Bobby Clark sweatshirt. Oh, right. Go hockey. Yeah. <laughs> Playoffs are good this year. Are they? Who, yeah. Who's the, who are you? Who's the what's, the, what's the scuttlebutt? Who are we going for? Um, what's, the, what's the word? Well, so we had like, I think three quarters of the series went to a game seven and the rest of them all went to game six. So it was a super exciting first series for everyone. That's awesome. That's out of eight. So like, it's, it's insane. Um, but it looks like the best team just beat the other best team in the first round, unfortunately. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, but I think there's going to be a three-time repeating Stanley Cup champion with his cool but not cool. It gets boring then. Yeah, it's like when the Warriors were doing that thing where they were winning like three in a row. And I'm like, I'm getting bored now. And then LeBron James was like, I got you. Yeah, it gets boring. But This is why like pro wrestling is... Top notch. Yeah. 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 It always changes. If you you plan everything ahead of time. Or even if you don't, (laughs) you can at least control the narrative. Oh, absolutely. But today, Chocolate Bear, we're talking why movies are the greatest thing ever made. (laughs) Not subjective at all. No. No, absolutely not. Get rid of get rid of the the, the uh, press. Get rid of the the movable press, Johann Gutenberg. Your invention sucks. Forget the Japanese voted greatest invention of the 20th century, microwave noodles. You can go fuck yourself. Sliced bread? Eat shit. <laughs> <laughs> listen let's not sleep on the printing press i mean i wasn't going to talk about that but you're right it all leads into our main point yes okay so let's let's not, let's be fair to the printing press <laughs> um i have three or four pronged attack here for us today all right we're going to talk about the different medias and why they matter so much to what movies became yes so you have options. Out of all the, out of all, see, what's interesting is like the medium of filmmaking for storytelling is one of the newer forms of storytelling. Yeah. You know, yep. uh, or entertainment in general. I mean, yeah, we've had movies out since, I mean, The Kiss was recorded by Thomas Edison in what, 1898, but movies really didn't become movie movies until Birth of a Nation. 
you know, and, and yeah. that's over a hundred years old by now. But whenever you think about the oral tradition of telling stories, the written tradition of telling stories, songs, uh, spoken poems, I mean, these things have been around, storytelling itself has been around for, since the beginning of time for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. But yeah. movies have only been around for like the last hundred years. Yeah, so what I did was I pulled, some of them are controversial. That doesn't matter for the point of our argument. I just wanted to talk about them. But basically like the first of all these different things, your plays, your novels, all those things, because they all lead into themselves. Storytelling becomes novels, becomes everything else. So uh, we can start wherever you want. We can go in the order that I think makes sense. Or if you want to start at a different one, we can do that. No, I have you, music. You go ahead. You, you said that you wanted to, to take this one by the horns. I've got nothing. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, I've got yeah, my, so, my acumen as a fan of history and mythology and storytelling, and that's about it. That's fine. Yeah. Um, so then let's go. I'll start on the plays because I know this is a topic that you know a lot about. Yeah. Greek plays in general. You're going all the way back to, I think it's, what is it on here? Four. It says the first performed the Persians in 472 BC. It's a long effing time ago. 474 BC? 472. 472 BC. You know what's so crazy about time periods like that is that like they are we are still closer to them in that time frame than they were to the pyramids being built. Crazy. According <laughs> to this, um, it says that is the first one to add an antagonist and he reduced the cores from 50 to 12. And who is this? Um, Aeschylus? Is that how you say his name? Probably like, like Aeschylus or something like that. Aeschylus maybe. Uh, <clears throat> so yes, so he, he took all of that down. The transition from the course to 50 to 12 is interesting. From 50? Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. So that is, uh, maybe that is them accepting that like the actual performance is more important. That is a lot of people to have as a chorus. Yeah. It's insane. Um, and what's so amazing as a, as a play chorus, because I want people to, to remember that like a chorus in like a play is like an audience surrogate they help explain the story, the stakes and everything that's going on. So the audience can better understand the storytelling involved therein. And it's really, it'd be really distracting to have 50 people be doing that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and this, this comes straight from PBS, this specific article I found. Um, it also says that Sophocles goes on to add a third actor 
And then Euripides adds a prologue. Yeah. Um, and then these the are idea... the guys that I'm familiar with. Okay. And One then of these guys also <laughs> in, also started settings. Okay. All right. Like he would start adding in trees into you know just to let you know that oh this is takes place in a forest or whatever. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, but this is the one coming up here that I think is the most important for the long term of just media in general, and it's your Dusex Machina. Ah, uh, Machina. Machina. Do uh, 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 Machina. Yes. Um, that in particular, everyone knows if you've listened to this show or you've talked to me about movies, chaos is my jam. Yeah. This is the character that may cause chaos sometimes, but also helps solve the chaos. Right. So they're just a, such a dynamic character within a storyline. Well, and that's the thing about a, a Deus Ex Machina is that it doesn't actually need to be a character either. It could be a, right. a force of nature. It can be a circumstance. Uh, I mean, in reality, it can be a letter that's talked about from the beginning and never actually brought up again. Until the very end where it solves all the problems. Right. Yes. It can be anything. Uh, And there's so many examples, even just of modern times, of using that, but it has to be done right. Yeah. Otherwise, it's dumb. (laughs) (laughs) What's the point? Um, Right. That goes with anything, but you know how many movies you've seen. I'm, I'm sure you can count a few of them where like you watch the whole movie, it seems super interesting, and then the ending happens and you're like, all right. Well, and yeah, that's, that's the, the ending. The, the, <laughs> the tricky part about about storytelling in general. So for those of you not in the know, which I imagine can't be many of you, um, the Deus Ex Machina stands for God in the Machine. And it's, it's basically a literary device that helps you create or solve problems in the blink of an eye. So you can actually have multiple in a, a, a story, much like Patrick just said, um, a letter that hasn't been opened. This letter, you know, it's, it's nameless and nobody knows the con- contents of it but the contents of it is still so drastic that it causes a whole bunch of problems for the play itself. Um, only for the letter to be read at the end of the play explaining and the letter itself ex- explains something that would have solved the pro all the problems in the play. Like I imagine a civil war happening between two places because they each think they have ownership on the next reign or whatever. And the letter is actually the person that passed away saying, no, this person's in charge. Exactly. So it's like, we didn't have to have this war at all. That was stupid. Yeah. We should have just read the letter. Perfect example. Yeah. And in most cases, I'd find that a great plot, and I'd like to see that. Yeah, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Take it. Yeah, I'm so with you. They're like, oh, thousands of people died for no reason? That was dumb. (laughs) 
so good. Um, so yeah, that's, I wanted to start with the plays, um, cause it does weasel in a few of the things that we're going to get into here now, uh, and lead into some of the larger ones. So since it talked about the course in the article, I want to jump over to music and let me remind myself the name of this It is called hurry on him. Number six from 14th century BC. What is it called? I'm going to go hurry on him. Number six, H U R R I A N. Okay. I got it right here. Hurry on him. Number six. Oh, wow. Played on a nine string lyre. And I have I didn't listen to it, but apparently somebody in the 1900s at one point recreated it based on what it should sound like, I guess. That's insane. Um, it's just incredible that like you can find these things, replay them, and they it, it'll get recycled through something, right? Yeah. Music gets recycled, that's one of the best parts about it. Yeah, so explain what this um, carry-on number six is, because this is insane. So an ode to the goddess of, I'm going to say it's Nicole. Yeah, that looks like, that seems, that looks correct to me. I don't fucking know, but it looks yeah. correct. The clay tablets that held this song were excavated. This is from history.com. Excavated in 1950s from the ruins of Ugarit in Syria. Mm-hmm. And they also, so it's super interesting, along with a near complete set of musical notations. So they had musical notations. That is just so. I don't know weird. what they look like, but wow. <laughs> I'm looking at a drawing. They could be of, what we use. Yeah, I'm looking like at a drawing of, of this tab and what it describes. I mean, it, it, I mean, obviously, it's just a bunch of cuneiform, but. Yeah. I mean, that's insane that. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and it also has, it also included specific instructions on how to play the song on the lyre. So it was made specifically for that instrument. Yeah. Wow. This is truly fascinating. I thought you'd like that one. I didn't know if you knew this or not. So oh, I, I this is 100% brand new information. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> all right. So it's considered the world's earliest melody, um, but the oldest musical composition to have survived in its entirety. So the whole thing, I guess, uh-huh. is the Sekulos epitaph, which is a song engraved on an ancient marble column used to mark a woman's gravesite in Turkey. The Sekimos epitaph? S-E-I-K-I-L-O-S. Okay, Sikilos. 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 I thought you said most. The lyrics read... Yep, the lyrics read, while you live, shine, have no grief at all. Life exists only for a short while, and time demands its toll. Sounds like a great tramp stamp. Right? Yeah, why not? (laughs) Uh, I'm 
always so interested in like in like their form of poetry <laughs> and like ancient form of poetry because like I don't like is this supposed to be iambic pentameter or something like that I don't know it didn't come off like that what the way I like you see it on my screen and in the paragraph when you're reading it but <laughs> maybe if it was like put in actual poem form then yeah I think that the, I think that a lot of times it's like it's supposed to almost represent where um like breaks in your speech would happen you know yeah while you live shine have no grief at all life exists only for a short while you know what i mean yeah, it, yeah. it's almost like every line is a, is a full sentence but it builds to a if you read it all live while you shine have no grief at all you know like it still works yeah. to get all together this is so interesting man yeah this is cool stuff as i was looking it up yeah. um, <clears throat> so in one uh where was it i don't know doesn't have the name. Michael Levy, a music researcher, strummed it on a Lear one at one point. <clears throat> and a Syrian composer, Malik Chandali, performed the ancient hymn, so the hurry on hymn, mm-hmm. for the full orchestra in 2009. So somehow transitioned that into a full orchestra, which has to sound cool. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah. But those are your first recorded musics, right? I mean... Hold on one second. Are you looking that up? Can you hear it? Is that coming through at all? A little bit. I'll have to look it up. Yeah, I mean, it's super cool. Yeah. Yeah, wow. All right, so continue. I am so, like, obsessed with everything you're telling me right now. Um, (laughs) All right, so (laughs) we have covered... I was really hoping to give you some history lessons today, so I'm happy about this. Yeah. Um, We've covered your plays, your oral storytelling, the idea of what a chorus is, um, so basically how a story is told. Um, and then my next topic here is the world's first novel. Oh, because this, is, this could be debated. And yes, it's debatable. Yes. But my sole purpose, one, is to have the conversation of what seems the most interesting yeah. of the couple that I found. Um, two... It doesn't matter which one was the first to me, because if it's that debatable, we'll never know. It's 2022. Clearly, there's discrepancies. Um, what's more, what's but, the most important thing to me, at least, as a fan of history, is this idea that even all the way back then, those thousands of years ago, people were interested in longer form storytelling. That's the point. Yep. Yeah. You got right and, and where I had just, to go. And like, not just like some people, like 
four or five different civilizations were interested in long form storytelling enough that they wrote these long form stories down. I think that's what's most important. Yeah. And the reason I had this last before we get into our bigger conversation is because with the plays, right, you see a lot of things take a Romeo and Juliet and make their own spin on it, right? Yeah. But the characters are very set in what they are. It's really easy to recreate those characters sometimes. Doesn't mean it's done well. Yeah. But you can tell somebody you're you're the depressed person that can't be with this person, go. Well, like there's there's that like four, what is it? There's like the four archetypes yeah. that have to permeate every like group, you know, and, and yeah. every group that you can see on television or in movies falls into this. I always use like Scooby-Doo as the mm-hmm. prime example. You have your fool, that's Scooby and Shaggy. You have your smart one, Velma. You have your, uh, uh, I don't want to say ditzy, but like, uh, yeah. you know what I mean? Like more, yeah, yeah. more into aesthetic. She's not damsel stupid, in distress, but she's, she's more distracted than anything. Yeah. A damsel, a maiden, if you will, you know, obviously Daphne. And then you have the, the plan guy, the smart one, it's Freddie, you know, and, and you can break this up into Ninja Turtles. You can break this up into the group on friends, scrubs, even all of them. Know? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, what is so important about the novelization of things is that you can have a lot of characters serving many purposes. Yes. Uh, and that is why I read so much. Yeah. Because I just find that so interesting. You can have somebody that's almost like a character in another book. You give them one little subtle change totally different character yeah the motivations behind what they're going to do in the book are totally different when that next big decision comes um for sure so i kept that this one lasts for that reason um novels in the running okay so let me just yeah let me just read those off first there's one i found more on and i brought up an article on it we'll read through a little bit of the details um so Contenders for the first, and I think it's include at least 10 works. Um, this is from lastnightbooks.com. All right, lastnightbooks.com. Let's it's interesting, but it's the most interesting article to, I could find. You're only allowed to write an article on that website if you read that book last night. That's it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Don't understand why some older works don't quite. The gold, this was interesting. The Golden Ass, which involves the journey of a man whose insatiable curiosity gets him turned into an ass and who ends up joining a cult of goddess Isis, arguably meets these criteria. Still, the distinctive writing style, often including verse, interwoven tales, uh, and distinctive mix of seriousness with satire, humor, and downright vulgarity does support differentiating early works of extended prose from the modern novel. So it's being left out because it's slightly different from what a modern novel is. Sure. What a cool, what a cool idea, right? You get literally turned into an ass. I'm going to assume that's a donkey. 
given the no, time no, frame. No, 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 they, they mean an ass-ass. They mean... But, you know, still <laughs> They have their consciousness <laughs> put into the lower hindquarters of a man. No, I know I don't have to make that distinction for you, but for those listening, it's probably a donkey. <laughs> I could be wrong. I don't know these things, you know. Uh, <clears throat> contenders for first, though. Lamort D'Arthur, 1485, Thomas Mallory. John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, 1678. Samuel Richardson, Pamela, 1740. And this was interesting to me because she clearly had a very set, distinct setup of what she thought a novel was. Yeah, this this is very interesting to me because... It's wide-ranged. <laughs> So well, go on because I, I'll, I'll have yeah. something to say for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know that I completely agree with the way she's making this list, um, but I thought our conversation would be good around it. Margaret Cavendish, The Blazing World, uh, does not have a year next to that one. I'd have to look that up. Sure. Um, Afro Benz, Orinoco, and Daniel Defoe, Robinson Crusoe, 1719, and Maul Flanders, 1722. Um, you f- is it E-U-P-H-U-E-S? You'd probably know how to say that. Yeah, no idea. <laughs> okay, whatever that is, the anatomy of wit, 1578, and that word, and his England, 1580. So they made a sequel. Yes. Which makes me buy into that being a novel already done um and when you start looking for novels around the world the field becomes dizzy so this is why there's an argument about it right what is a novel when did a novel become what we know is a novel that's my whole question here because I mean, what is what is a novel? Do we consider the Iliad and the Odyssey a novel? Well, it's considered an epic poem, right? But whenever I consider it a novel, whenever you take those prose out there and you put them into like, does the Canterbury Tales count as a novel? I hear you. You know what I mean? Like this is does Gilgamesh count? Does Beowulf? What is the difference yep. between an epic poem and a novel? And on so, top of that, there seems to be no mention from this person, at least, of um, Calero. Which what? was a uh, um, Greek novel, not a poem. It was written in prose. And it's interesting. Survives fully intact. Um, and it's from like 100 AD. <laughs> How about or something it? like that. Okay. Like, this is, I, I don't know that the, the, whole story of it but it deals with the Peloponnesian War I know that um, but it's interesting to me that, that, that it seems like 
what this list is more going off of is like the modern idea of what a novel is as opposed yeah. to like these long form stories that we talk about. Yep. And here is why I picked the one I did. It kind of mentions it in her article, not a ton. Um, back to BBC. <clears throat> I picked BBC because it seemed the most reputable, but the one that came up the most outside of Don Quixote, which I know is controversial yeah. as the first novel, um, for sure. I knew that before going into this, so no surprise there. Um, <clears throat> I actually, interesting story about that one. I read <coughs> my one of my favorite authors, passed away last year i think he knew about this and i read his last short story book yeah and he has he has his own version of how don quixote came to be a novel in it oh that's fun it's kind of neat yeah i'll have to you'll have to check it out um but that was kind of neat i didn't quite know what was going on until the short story ended i was like oh that was kind of cool all right. Oh, that's a fun there. way of whenever you realize it as it's happening. Yeah, like the name sounded familiar and I just couldn't place it. And it was only 10 pages, so I didn't really have the mental time to like for it to you stick. Without anything, yeah. Yeah, I was just reading it. Um, but I digress. I, I ultimately went with the tale of Genji to talk about. Sure, go for it. Um, <clears throat> Written over a thousand years ago um, in Japan by a woman. Holler. Which is really interesting. All, just shouts out, uh, all women are powerful, so eat shit. <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> Tell them. Uh, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> it's often called the world's first novel. And follows the life and romances of Hikaru Genji, written by a woman, like I said. Um, and it is so famous, it was once reviewed following an English translation in 1925 by Virginia Woolf. Oh, famous, uh, famous author in her own right and suicidist. Yes. Yes. Tragic, tragic life for her. She was so powerful that she decided that she couldn't contain her own power. That that would be a cool episode for us to do. (laughs) Virginia Woolf. Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Why not? Good play. play. Could be interesting. Um, (laughs) But I went with this one for this particular reason. Yeah. I've never even heard of this. I don't know. I, I don't. I honestly don't know much about the plot, but it has some. It has the elements of fiction that it needs to have. It has the romance side of it, right? Yeah. But when it was translated in English, it becomes a thirteen hundred page long epic. Jesus. So, I think in modern days that would be put out as most likely a trilogy. Probably, I mean, at least. You know, I mean, and depends if Stephen King wrote it. Fair point. That's a very <laughs> fair point. If it somebody's like it's eighteen hundred pages, they'll read it. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Put it people out will, there. People, people will read it. They'll say it's my greatest work ever. 
uh, make sure that there's a child orgy in it and we'll consider it done. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I'm going to look up more about the plot here, though, because um, I thought this had more of it and I just missed it. So that's on me. Um, yeah, I'll take a, I'll do a, I'll do a quick, I'll do a quick goog as well. Yeah. Um, all right. <clears throat> oh, interesting. Okay, so <clears throat> Genji, hero of the tale. This is from taleofgenji.org. So it's oh. very specific. <laughs> I think Just I can better have it. all the fucking information <laughs> we need on that. Right, I know. Um, hero of the tale is the son of the emperor and his favorite concubine, Kuritsubo. A Korean sage predicts a brilliant future for Genji, but his mother suffers the jealousy of rivals at court. So it's a court drama. I'm sold. Okay. I'm Done. Here. You got I'm me. I'm here for it. <laughs> like, yeah. Give, yeah. Me, give me some objections. Give me some yeah. witnesses. Yes. Yeah, love it. Um, let's see. But eventually finds another... So he finds another concubine after his wife dies. Yang Kui Fei. Genji lacks backing at court, and the emperor makes him a commoner, assigning him membership of the non royal Genji clan. So he gets thrown out. He's useless. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense because if you're daughter of the concubine, you no longer are important. Or son of the concubine, yeah. Um, I want to say, like, oh, this is a tale as old as time, but I'm like, this is the time. This is a tale as old as a thousand years ago. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like crazy, right? I'm reading this going, I've watched this show or read this book, and I'm like, well, not then I didn't. Like Genji becomes no, right. Uh he becomes an uncommonly handsome and gifted young man, admired in all but feared by Lady Commonly gifted and handsome. Jesus Christ, why don't you give him some more accolades? I know, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he returns to the capital at some point. I'm skipping over a few parts. We don't need all of it. Uh, <clears throat> no, I need you to read me all <laughs> a thousand pages of it. <laughs> I kind of want to read it now. I do it. I'd go slowly, but I'd read it. Um, uh, He gets his position restored, all the fun stuff. Good, good, good. All the normal things that we expect to happen. Yes. In 2022. Yeah. That makes me even more impressed by this book. I mean, I'm looking, I'm like skimming the Wikipedia summary of the plot. Mm-hmm. And this is a fucking epic, dude. I think I'm going to read this. I think I need you know, to. Why not? Yeah, I think I need to. Why not? Wild. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, that's nuts that there's so much here that is so relatable to different stories being told today. Yeah. It's crazy. Just the things you learn when you start looking these things up and you go down the well and you think you've read these stories or watched these stories, but you see a thousand-year-old novel. Yeah. That seems 
commonplace. But a thousand years ago, that was not commonplace. One a woman wrote it. It's right here on Wikipedia. <laughs> Genji loves her first as a stepmother, but later as a woman, and then they fall in love with each other. Ugh. Oh, the one that remarries him? Yeah. The dad? Oh my gosh. So there's an Oedipus thing to it, too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This story, I gotta read this. Holy crap. <laughs> this seems insane. I'm glad we went down this. This was a good path. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I think that it's amazing that so many, like that, like the tale of Genji, like you said that it's it, when translated in English, it's 1,300 pages. Like, that's amazing to me that, that they wrote that 1,000 years ago. Yeah. Because you it's, think about, I mean, your average person doesn't think about this stuff, but I do sometimes of, like, the, the capabilities of people in antiquity mm-hmm. you know what could they write what could they build i hate it whenever people talk about how humans couldn't have built the pyramids but whenever your family has only known construction for the last 10 generations and you're the 10th generation's kid who's learning construction like your family knows more about construction than anybody else does. Yeah. You put that you put that kind of person in today's compare them to today. Like a carpenter's son doesn't have that knowledge because now the carpenter can put so much shit in a computer program and it'll basically mock up the blueprints for them. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, and they've debunked some of that, right? You know, pulley systems, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But the manpower it took to do stuff like that. Right. Good Lord. Insane. Why? Well, like, the same, like, goes goes with, like, these scribes and, like, these, these authors that you don't think about these people needing to write down much because what do you write down? But, like, you know, with Homer and the Iliad and the Odyssey, you have these things that mu- that you know must be preserved. You have these stories that for some reason you feel must be preserved. Yep. And so you preserve that. And if- I mean, how, dude, how many times, even in just what we do in the shadows in the second season, I think it was, when they had the siren. Oh, yeah. It comes up everywhere. Yeah. Like, it's it's just what it is. It was preserved for a reason. By the way, Holler, what we do in the shadows coming back soon. Is it? I did not see that update. I've heard July. That's fast. No. I expected another year. I would well see for some. I because it's a vampire show. I always like imagine it around Halloween time or like around winter. And so I'm yeah, kind of yeah. like really excited to see if we get like a summer or springtime what we do in the shadow season. Like what would they would be like at the beach? Yes. Oh my god. 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> Gotta have it. Yeah. Yep. This leads us right into the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> We're going into movies. Now, it's more the, the first um, shot of a motion picture. We've had this tiny conversation because I complained about Jordan Peele's new movie. Yeah. <clears throat> we, we didn't get like deep, though. We didn't like talk for more than a couple minutes. Uh, but <clears throat> my bridge... 1879. Yes. The moving horse. Or not the moving horse, but then they call it. The horse in motion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. The moving horse and the horse. My bad. Motion. Yeah. Fucking, yeah. what do you know, Patrick? Eat shit. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. Um, <clears throat> um, I love this story because they only did this because, like, it was an argument over whether or not all four horses' legs stop touching the ground whenever it's running. Like, that's why they did it. <laughs> I don't some... even see that in the article. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. That's what I've heard. I've, I've read oh. that before. That they only did this because it was a bet that while a horse is in motion, uh, there's a moment in its trot where all four of its legs cease touching the ground. I'm going to give him credit for that, because when I was a kid, I thought that was a thing. <laughs> well, so, it is a thing. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's a thing. That's why they did it, to prove that it's a thing. Right. <clears throat> um, but there had been photography, photography before. They, have ma- they had made attempts to make things look like they were moving. Yeah. I imagine um, like a flip book, book style kind of. Yeah. Take a picture, you move a little bit, take another picture, flip them back and forth, bada bing, bada boom, you have somebody waving. I mean, I, I'm sure you probably did it because you're chocolate bear, and I know I did it. Remember when you would draw pictures in like your notebooks and then you would flip them? And oh, you know what the, the best thing happened? You know what the best was? Was um, <clears throat> Captain Underpants. Oh, Captain Underpants was good. Because Captain Underpants would have those little interactive pages where you could draw what's going on next. So it would be like maybe Captain Underpants like winding up a punch and then the next page would be him punching and you can draw what's going on in the punch. So that way you oh. can flip back and forth and it looks like he's beating the shit out of somebody. Nice. Yeah. They knew what they were doing. Hell yeah, they did. <laughs> um... But in our particular case here, they invented a camera that could do 12 pictures per second for a moving object. That's amazing. Now, I have to look up. I did not look up um, what that is today. Like how many images are happening all in that same time span today because I did not find it important to our conversation today for what we're talking about. Uh, Films are normally filmed at 24 so we haven't even made that much of a jump well it's because um that is the like on a screen that is the uh way that our eyes will process actual movement from human like at human speed right i think we actually see light at like 72 frames per second i think 
Um, but if it's on a screen, if we're watching something like us through this camera right now is happening at 24 frames a second. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I think Didn't I know that. I could be completely fucking wrong, and I probably am, but I know that most films are filmed at 24 frames frames a second. If you're whenever, listening out there, you can correct us. Yeah, and whenever they did <laughs> 60 frames per second for the Hobbit trilogy, people flipped shit because it looked weird as fuck. Oh, they did that? I didn't know that. Yeah, they did 60 frames per second. And the problem is, is the more frames per second that you do... Um, you get into that uncanny valley, that that thing where it's like, well, this is real, but it it looks fake. That's super interesting because in video games, there's a place for 120 because of the people that play the shooting games and they need the most interactive responses. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, right. That's so, that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, I like that. For sure, love it. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, so it, you get something like that, right? We get to today, like you said, we've learned different sciencey things about movies. You land on 24 frames per second. But they learned that you can make something look like it's moving. Yes. That's very important because yeah. you take that, you put it to what a play does, what music can do, what a novel can tell, and you put it on a screen. Well, and that's what's so incredible about this right here is that it's now taking, it's almost like it's taking everything that we did to tell emotions, to tell stories, to relate to one another, to one another in the human experience. We are now combining all of them together. And I'm sure the first people that saw this were like, oh, this is not going to go well. Uh, obviously. Yeah. There's always haters. Yeah. You know, for everything. I mean, I'm sure you've heard about the, um, <laughs> the great train robbery. I don't know much about it. It came up in my research, but I don't yeah, know much so about it. The great train robbery was one of the first uh movies that like toured around the united states uh in various cinemas and or theaters at the time because cinemas weren't a thing <laughs> no, <laughs> they would show this video and it, it's a very you know it's only you know seconds long but one of the scenes in it would be a train riding directly towards the camera right in like a, a, a frontal pov shot it looks like it's coming directly at the camera no there are reports of entire theaters emptying out with people running and screaming out of the theaters because they really thought that a train was coming at them oh my god <laughs> awesome I gotta love it right Oh, yeah. You gotta love it. That's fantastic. Would you imagine being around to, like, experience that? That'd be amazing. Yeah. I would not feel any shame. I'd be like, yeah, I ran out. Yeah, it was, it was terrifying. terrifying. <laughs> you, have you? Yeah, absolutely. 
it's like that uh it's like that scene in family guy whenever they're at the world's fair and the one dude is like flicking on and off a light bulb <laughs> and he's like you guys aren't impressed by this <laughs> whenever i saw this in 1932 i shit myself <laughs> Uh, no so my goal today was to take what we've learned here the first of these major areas and talk about what movies we've seen in our lives that have made us watch other movies differently or watch future movies differently sure um and this was super interesting. It didn't take me long to make the list, but what the list was surprised me. Yeah, you... A lot, actually. You popped me with this question like 20 minutes before we got on this. So I wanted a good surprise. Yeah, you fucking gave me one because I was like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's not just your average your average like what's your favorite movie right no this is actually like a much more fun question than like what are your favorite movies it's like what movies have changed you as a movie viewer yeah you know and that's what's so interesting here um yeah because movies change with its people. Changes to get older. Yeah. You can and watch the same watching. movie 10 years. We're doing it. You watch the same movie 10 years later. That's, and you're like, it wasn't as good as I remember. That's exactly what I was about to say. I just put up, uh, at the time of recording this, I just put up uh, our Empire Strikes Back and Repo the Genetic Opera. Oh my God. What an episode. <laughs> and here's the thing, dude. Like, those are two separate movies that one, I swear to you, gets better every single time I watch it. Yeah. You know, and the other one, I haven't seen in a long time, but I remember really liking whenever I was little, little, fucking 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> brain cells were at a different spot then yeah <laughs> but like it, i swear to you if i watch it again it's just gonna get worse and worse probably you're probably right i'd still um, enjoy it but it wouldn't be a good movie yeah and is that the artifice of the film itself is that the film's actually being that good or is that my own preference and obviously it's a combination of all of it together but still, dude, you just mentioned my favorite part of a movie. Which you is, could go see a movie, have the opinion that I do, and then walk out, talk to someone else, and be like, "That movie sucked." Oh yeah, that's, and I'm like, I don't think you watched the same movie as I did. Were you there? <laughs> and that's been an interesting past couple episodes of Film Harvest because we've hit that nail on the head. Yeah. So far, the last two episodes, there's been at least one person of our team that has just not been feeling the movies. Yeah. You know, which is interesting because <laughs> the other two people have been like reasonable fans of them. And it's like, 
really trying to bring yeah. out and explain why I did or didn't like something is can be a lot harder than what people think, especially when it comes to movies. Sometimes you don't know. Yeah, sometimes you're just like, I watched it and it didn't vibe. It didn't click with me. Yep. This movie does everything that I think a movie should do. It has characters that I should like. It's written well. It's directed well. But for some reason, it's just not clicking with me. Yep. You know, a thousand percent agree. How it felt like watching Cabaret. Yeah. You know, it's just not clicking with me. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about what yeah. uh, has helped change us as film viewers. And uh, I, got, I got one to start out with um, okay. that I'm really excited for because I swear to you, I have not been the same since watching this movie. Um, it is a film that has absolutely changed the way that I look at how stories themselves are structured. Um, and it's a movie that doesn't get talked a lot about. I almost put it in for Film Harvest this year. Uh, but I did not. I think we'll hold it off for another time. But we got to talk about Mr. Nobody. Okay. Mr. Nobody is without a doubt one of the most interesting and confusing films <laughs> that nobody talks about it so is, if i have this right it was from 2018 no okay all right <laughs> wait i'm looking these up because i'm gonna assume 2018 oh wait no you might be right there's a few yeah, Mr. No, that, nobody. that has to be right yeah no, no 2009 What's the what's the picture look like? Look up Mr. Nobody Jared Leto. Uh, you didn't even have to say more. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, there it is. Yep. I, as soon as you said, like, there's three pictures up of the Mr. Nobody, different Mr. Nobodies, and then you said Jared Leto. I was like, done. <laughs> yep. And I'm a okay. known, I am a known Leto hater. I do not like. Jared Leto, but he is really good in this movie. Um, it's about uh, a, a man who is much like uh, the main character of Slaughterhouse Five. He is like unstuck in time and unstuck in his own life. He goes through his childhood, teenage years, and then adulthood in three different timelines all happening at the same time concurrently to one another good lord it sounds like a mouthful yeah so it's actually like three stories going on at once that are all connected and not connected and it's filled with intense philosophical uh discussion um it has really really good characterizations from multiple people and then at the very end it leaves it open to you to wonder which life was the true life of mr nobody gotcha okay you know he's the whole movie he's almost like reminiscing to you about his life but he keeps on switching back and forth between three different lives 
Gotcha. Okay. By the end of it, it's like, well, which one was the truth of that? Yeah. You know, there's sci-fi elements to it. Uh, in one of his lives, he he's one of the commercial people. He's like one of the commercial passengers that gets on one of the first flights to Mars, but the ship blows up. Uh, in another one, he gets killed by a hitman. Um, in another one, he lives to a happy old age with his wife and loving kids. Like there's just so many different lives that he lives. And the reason why I think that this changed me as a film viewer is because it challenged me. This was the first yeah. movie that I remember watching that once it was over, I thought about it for a long time. And then like a week later, I had to watch it again because I had to be sure of what I saw. And I had to think about it more. I like that. You know, and, and I, I, yeah. I honestly don't think that without that movie, I wouldn't be uh, the film viewer that I am today. That's that's just really interesting because that's one one I've never heard of. Two, I don't know how many people have. Yeah, I mean it's a it's an indie movie, two thousand nine, <laughs> so it's a little old by now. Um, but it's a standby. I mean this this yeah. the beginning of this movie has one of my favorite. I mean, an absolute favorite one takes ever. Where like one long I, shot. Yeah, yeah, where, where it's following Jared Leto, like, getting ready for the morning. He, like, you know, gets up, puts on his shirt. The camera's following him. It takes us into the bathroom with him. The camera, like, lingers on the mirror, the bathroom mirror, as he's pouring himself a glass of water. And as he's drinking the water, the camera goes through the mirror and, like, continues to follow him. Like into the next life? No, like it's still the same life, but like the camera, I don't know how it does it. The camera goes through the mirror as he's oh. drinking water. Oh. And they continue the cut through that mirror. Very cool. All yeah. right, all right. I love shit like that. <clears throat> love it. Yeah, yeah. Big fan of Mr. Nobody. Uh, besides American Beauty, it might be, not American Beauty, my God, American Psycho. It might yeah. be the only thing that Jared Leto has ever done that's worthwhile. That's fair. I mean, yeah. I'm on the Leto hating tour, man. I, <laughs> I know you are. I'm not on the Leto love train. <laughs> I'm on like the normal Leto train. I'm on the Leto loathe train. I'm in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> You're on the Leto ambiguous train. Yeah, he's got like hit or miss. You know, one of those guys. Usually, you think miss. he's hot? No, not at all. Um, speaking of actors not hot, our most famous one that we like to talk about. Benedict Cumberbatch. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. Calm down. Adam Driver, we know, we know. Yeah, we know. Adam Driver, the world's um, <clears throat> celebrity. I watched a video today, and in the article... It was saying Christian Bale was the new lead for Francis Ford Coppola's newest movie that he's financing himself. So I'm like, okay. Well, not he was, but he's in the talks of. So I'm like, that could be cool. All right. We'll see how this plays out. 
I watched the video. It got me. Oof. It's not Christian Bale. It is reported that it's been offered to Adam Driver. And I'm like, you just took a good movie and went splat all over it. Good job. Just because Adam Driver's ugly doesn't mean he's a bad actor. I don't like his acting. I love his acting. I think he's a terrific actor. No. I'm not a huge fan. Uh, I don't know why. It's your Jared Leto thing, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I get it. Hey, what do we always say about people's faces? It's, they just have them. You yep. can't control that. Can't control, you know? can't control how you feel about them. Uh, I'll hit you with one. Yeah, hit me. With I'll start with one we've already talked about. You've had to watch it for Film Harvest, um, but it's the reason I put it in Film Harvest, right? Um, the directing of Five Hundred Days of Summer. Yeah, for sure. Not the story itself, but yeah. the way it's filmed, the way it's directed, the way it's written, made me see movies going forward as more than just the experience, right? It's now go after that movie. I noticed when a camera cuts from one thing to the next thing, I see the camera turns just the slight bit of angle to add some stress to the viewer. Yeah. It's not a big change, but it's enough where you feel uneasy naturally. Sure. Um, Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Um, I, Every, I, I have my problems with 500 days of summer um, but it's all character stuff that I don't that doesn't yeah. vibe with me this is a couldn't agree with you more a terrifically directed film even the way that they shoot like the Ikea scenes and yeah. trying to show that they're in love versus not in love or show viewing the buildings as they're going around the town yeah. uh, it just that, all seems so whimsical and big that that little split screen between like what he imagined is going to happen at the party versus what does happen at the party is inspired. I mean, it is thing I've ever seen in a movie. It is so good. It is is, that movie is is at its peak right there. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Let me hit you with a second one because you may mention it. You may not, but I think you'll be happy to talk about it. Um, I didn't even have a movie. And my note says Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> it doesn't matter. All his movies were essentially the same. He he was an aloof character. There was a damsel in distress that he either fell in love with or had to take care of. In one case, it's a little boy to me, it's, that he has it's, to take to care me, of. It's the simplicity of it all. Yep. To me, it takes us back to what, I mean, what am I always saying? The simplest stories are normally the best stories. Why is that? Because they're timeless. Because anybody can watch it and be like, oh, I relate to that. You know? Yeah. And whenever you watch an older film, especially one that doesn't have sound like, or at least dialogue, like Charlie Chaplin's normally didn't, well, your comment there. Let's get into it, right? Yeah. They used music exactly. to convey emotions. And brilliant. Brilliantly. Yeah. <laughs> In all of them. The but. little hilarious riff that they do whenever that drunk millionaire is playing around with, with him. Uh, yeah. 
whenever he's like playing with that giant globe balloon and the great <laughs> dictator. Yeah, they're using music to to advance the story in a way that is supportive and not distracting at all. It's really incredible. I mean, at, the, at that point, that's the form of, of, of filmmaking. But the challenge of that shit nowadays is it has to become uh, relatable, not just relatable, but like understandable to a viewing audience who has had sound films their whole existence. Yeah, that's going to be a hard sell going forward if anybody ever wants to do black and white film again. I mean, like that one that won some Oscars. Yeah. I mean, that was a big deal. The artist was uh, <laughs> was the silent film that took the world by storm in like 2012. That's so that I was going to bring that one up because you're now in an age where those kids that were born in early 2000 they never saw that movie. Uh-uh. They've grown up in the world you just described. Yep. Good luck selling that again. Where everything's all the same, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. But I, I couldn't just, I mean, I could have just said City Lights, but that wouldn't have been fair. I've never hated a Charlie Chaplin movie I watched. So there's <laughs> no point of picking I'm one. You, dude, I'm going to get that City Lights poster at my cinema. I don't care if I'm going to have to steal it. You can do it. I can do it. <clears throat> they love me then. <laughs> they really do. They, they love me. At Maybe, that. you know what? Maybe I'll pay Noah $100 to steal it for Ooh, you. Ooh, that gets him it. That gets him it. Wow. <laughs> um, so me and my coworkers were just having this conversation the other day uh, because we're listening to the radio at work and gorillas comes up gorillas who, if you know me at all, you know, that gorillas is my favorite band. You know, I love them. There's literally not a song that they've put out that I was like, Oh, that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm a stand by them 100%. And I explained it this way to my coworkers. Like I remember being, like nine, I think, maybe eight, whenever their first album came out. The Gorillaz album it has 19, 2000 on it, has Rock the House on it, but most importantly, it has Clint Eastwood on it. That's a jam. You know? And I explained it to my coworkers this way. It was like I was listening to music for the first time whenever I heard Clint Eastwood. It was like a door opened up and all of a sudden it was like, oh, there's, there, it, there's music out there for me. Yeah. And this is almost the way that it felt uh, watching Kill Bill for the first time. All right, all right. At, at, a, at a friend's house. Their family had it on. It was a pool party. I remember it was a pool party. What are you watching a pool party? Oh, I was throwing some Kill Bill. Well, they, I think they just had it on while they were all getting smashed and smoking weed and I'm sure doing coke. You know? Little did they know they changed your life. But 
apart from all of them having a great time and smoking indoors and all of that shit, Kill Bill's on the TV and I cannot get away from it. Yeah. I think what it did for me uh, was it gave me the right blend of cinematic action and classical uh, what am I trying to say like classical inspiration because at that time I was also really getting into my like older Japanese movies, you know I, I was getting into my Godzillas I was I saw I'd seen New Jimbo you know I had seen I think I'd seen like half of the seven samurai by that point um my point is is that i had been watching these japanese movies these martial arts movies bruce lee i, I remember watching uh, the, the dragon um and then to see like that style kind of mesh in with i didn't know that at the time but obviously it would be meshed in with like this western style of cinema this Western style of storytelling, but still having the artifice and the action scenes and the fluidity of an Eastern style movie. Yeah. And watching it, like I said, dude, it was like, oh, this is a movie for me. And now I think that that's why I like a blend of styles so much. You know, I love a movie that is half one thing and then it's half another thing. We're going to get into it uh, with this next film, once again, when we're recording this, but we're going to get into this with Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. Dude, you've essentially described all of what A24 does. Exactly. This is why That's I love what A24, A24 does. You, one, you couldn't be more correct, bro. They're like, we'll make this movie, but how do we make it two different movies? And then we're going to make one <laughs> yeah. still kick-ass movie. They do not have one on my list yet. I will tell you that. They haven't done the one, but they will. And I have faith in them. X might be the one for me, dude. X was so amazing. I thought about it, but yeah. I put a different one on here of that genre. So I left it off. Yeah. I'm going to just toss this out there. <laughs> X was like the best horror movie I've seen in cinemas. In a long time. I think that it I think that it was a, a, a more the like the, the two most engaging horror movie experiences I've ever had in the cinema has been X and was the new invisible man. Invisible Man was one of the funnest fucking film experiences I've ever had. I can imagine, yeah. But I'm sure there was lots of humor opportunities on that bad boy. But not just not just that, not just because it's low-key hilarious. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. But also because like it's an invisible man. Like you're in a theater, like you don't know if he's in there with you. I love, I've said this before. I love going to see horror movies in the theater because like at home you can pause. At home, you can walk away from the movie. Yeah. You can get up, go get a drink, get back. Oh, man, that was scary. Let's continue on with this motherfucker. Press play. But in yeah. a movie theater, you are in that motherfucker. Yep. You cannot escape. 
<laughs> Paranormal Activity four or three. Oh, that was three. It was that was an enjoyable. Oh yeah, we all went together to that one. Yep, yep. Hey, li- listen, ladies and gentlemen, Cubs out there, if you want a either really fun <sighs> or really annoying film experience, go to the movies with me. <laughs> Because you will leave one of those two things. Man, that was really fun. Or man, he needs to shut the fuck up. <laughs> Why does he think this movie's funny? It's not funny at all. But in your head, something's happening that's so different from the person next to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh no, no, I have a nickname for that guy. I just didn't tell you. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, hold on. I'll tell you when this is over. Then I'll never tell you again because I'll forget about it. Yeah. Uh, all right let me get to another one so the reason why a24 did not make it with x is because my dumbass thought it was smart to watch the blair witch, blair witch project by myself the first time when it was many years ago okay interesting many many years ago <clears throat> um I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. You know, I just shouldn't have done that. It, it, I made a mistake. I don't um, know, dude. I'm like, I'm like a detractor from, from that. Well, what it did for me was it showed what a small budget could do. And yeah. It, it, it was just impressive. Regardless of how you feel about it, I was scared. Not everybody was. I get that. But, like, the little things oh, you learn about it, right? You know, this is this is so interesting because this is right at the exact, not the exact same time, obviously. I use a lot of hyperboles if you can't tell people. But this is, like, around that same time that The Sixth Sense also came out. And I feel like they are... I mean, obviously not thematic, not plot-wise, but these are two... These movies are so fucking similar because of what you just said. They are smaller budget movies that had a huge impact because of their small budget. Yep. But they had to be clever. Exactly. Right? They learned marketing styles. One of the characters literally left the movie because he didn't want to live like that. Yeah, and then like, they started putting out what they started like putting out flyers for that that these people were missing. Yeah, this was dude. The whole process was genius. The camera was, work felt so real. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's the beginning of found footage, but I don't know if found footage has ever gotten back up to that point before or after you know uh, no paranormal activity tried i mean they tried it's not the same though yeah you're right you're right yeah no because like there's a certain the fun part about a found footage film to me is being in that motherfucker with the person with the camera right yeah to me the uh paranormal activities though i do enjoy them and it is you know they are creepy experiences 
it's mostly done from like uh like baby camera things or security cameras you know the yeah. fact that you they are holding the camera with you it, it kills me man it, it creeps me out project is astounding and i think that that is why like it's so engaging well here's the other thing about it too it never actually shows you the baddie D- did you ever see the um, <laughs> ever did you know that there's a toy of the witch? No. There's a how? Th- because the original plan was to have the witch on screen. Oh, I'm so glad they didn't. But if you go, and I'm not telling you to do it, but you can Google <laughs> Player Witch Project Witch and see what it's it right supposed now. to look like. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> oh, give me a second. <laughs> um, okay, all right. Player Witch Project Witch under images. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. No. This thing. Now type in no if you will type yeah. in toy after after that Blair okay. Project Witch Toy. Okay. And go into images and go down and see what this was supposed to look like. Oh my god. You see that? It's like a woods witch. It's like a it's almost like a druid thing. I mean, I'm not upset about it, but I still think they made a better choice leaving her out. No, absolutely, because I think for the effect, what, what you're saying here, which which is something that I totally agree with, is less is more. Because at the end, you expect it, right? They walk into the creepy house. They think that's where their friend is. Well, and the movie just ends. Yeah, exactly. And here's the problem. And here's the problem, like. You spend, you know, 90 minutes, two hours building up the appearance of this witch. The moment you see the witch, it has to deliver. It cannot be an insidious situation. No, it can't be an insidious situation. Though insidious fucking rules. Yeah, but when the face gets revealed, it's terrible. Insidious. Oh, wait, no, not insidious. Am I thinking of insidious? Let's be the second one. It was the red and black face. It looked like Star Wars came out of the corner of the room. Is that the one where the kids are killing everybody? Uh, I don't remember. I know the grandmother's evil in it. Okay. But that's every no, scary movie. Why am so. I always mixing up Insidious and some other stupid horror movie? <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. No, I remember watching Insidious and not like it. <laughs> but yeah, no. I, it was really bad. I mean, don't get me wrong. That thing is creepy. And they should have done, like, an extra scene that you could watch if you wanted to. Yeah. I would have been fine with that, but as long as they made it clear that was the actual ending. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. Yeah, I'd be willing to put in a... a, uh, a, uh, uh, a I'd be willing to see a deleted scene with, with it, but... Yeah. As far as the actual release, let's not do that. Yeah. No, they made the right call. Um, 
Um, I want to talk about something real quick before. I mean, I don't know if you have any more. Um, and I have um, other movies that definitely affect how I watch movies. Obviously, The Princess Bride. Um, yeah. I will just say that that is the movie that took away like my inhibitions to watch something because of uh, because I might not like it based on its name. Yeah, you know, yeah. If anything, that is my you can't judge a book by its cover moment with movies uh, because it's the princess bride. Yeah. You know, how many times have I said that to people about it being one of, if not my favorite film of all time? Yeah. And they say, oh, the princess bride. Oh, I'd never watch that. But guess what? I watched with them and it's so fucking fun and it's entertaining. Guess what? You suck. You're wrong. <laughs> um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up something um, that happened while we were in high school that I think really affected me personally. You know, because in high school, this is whenever I started getting into my comic books. Big Marvel fan at the time, and surprise, surprise, lo and behold. Disney buys Marvel out. You that know, big and, event did happen. And me <laughs> and my friends had hours long conversations about this. And all my friends were so pissed off about, Mar about the acquisition of Marvel by Disney. You know, because we didn't know where the company mm -hmm. was going to go. We didn't know what they were going to do with the comics. But there's one thing that I knew in my heart. And it was that we were going to get at least a few. I didn't know it would be an entire fucking saga. But I thought we were going to get a few. Just an additional one? Good. <laughs> Just started. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I didn't know that. I, I thought that we would get a few okay to really good comic book movies and i felt this way because of the movie that i'm going to bring up next and that's pirates of the caribbean oh yeah yeah this is the movie that taught me any property can be made into a kick-ass movie this is a great so first movie you, so long as you have a character, as a director and a producer and a writer that really believes in the product and really cares for the product, you can make a terrific film. Because they took an animatronic log ride. Yep. And made Jack Sparrow, bro. So in my mind, I was like, take that type of dedication and like with the already established history and relationships and circumstances that comic books have, take yep. that dedication and match it up with those comic books and produce those movies. <laughs> I thought from initial get-go that Marvel would become the biggest movie hits ever. You know, 
And it's really yeah. weird to think about it that way. You, you know what I mean? No, yeah. No, no, but you you make a good point. You kind of predicted the future on that one. I 100% did. And I was, <clears throat> I was sure about it whenever I was a senior or a sophomore, whatever I was in high school. I remember being the only person in classrooms talking about how excited I was about Disney owning Marvel. Because I knew we'd get those movies. Did I know that we'd get Doctor Strange? Did I know we'd get Black Panther? Did I know we'd get the Infinity War and Thanos and the Guardians of the Galaxy? No. Yeah. But because of Pirates of the Caribbean. And that's, you know, it's part, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean can be why I was so excited for the Dune movie. You know, it, it, it can be, it can explain why I'm so excited for this incorruptible series that's going to be coming out. It's why I'm so excited for the Sandman series coming out on Netflix, because it at least shows me that if you have people that care about the product, anything can be made into a successful uh, franchise, but they. Well, I mean, talk about a lot too, right? Yeah. When we when we do watch a bad movie, we just say they just didn't care. Yeah. To make it a good movie, and that's fine. Yeah, some of these things. Hey, I've said it before. Some of these movies are just tax write-offs. Yeah, um, I mean, so I do have a question for you, comic book lore. <clears throat> yeah. Now, I don't typically care about what happens going forward in Marvel. You know that about me. That's not a surprise. But why introduce the Eternals and Illuminati at the same time? They're two completely separate things. They are. Okay. Because I I was like, well, wonder if they have to fight each other at some point. Being high councils of their own universes or whatever. So so, uh, the Eternals... And the yeah, the Illuminati is like uh, is like a version of the Fantastic Four. Right. Okay. All right. The group of people that come together with common interests, right? Whereas the Eternals is much more like the X Men, in that they're a race of beings that have to stand together because they're the only ones that exist on the planet. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Because I, when I watched that movie Eternals, I kind of saw them as like a council oh, type sure. group. Right. And they just solved the Earth's problems when they had to or whatever. Dude, I'll tell you what, I think I said it to you before. <laughs> Biggest shock of the Marvel Universe for me is that they went with the giant egg. Giant what? <laughs> that Earth is a giant egg. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm shocked they made that movie at all. Did you know? I mean, there's no way you would know because you're not a comic. <laughs> Did you know that in the comics they hollow out that Eternal's head and uses it as the Avengers headquarters? That's up. It's fucking rules. If they don't do that in the movies, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you have to do that. You have to. Why? That's a requirement. Yeah, it's, it's a little weird how nobody's brought up the giant thing that protruded from the ocean and turned to stone. 
All right, all right, all right. He kind of got me in. <laughs> I'd like to see how that happens. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, just right. Doctor Strange there. You don't think he can just hollow out some rocks in like a blink of an eye? He can do whatever he wants. He's fucking Doctor Strange. He can do whatever yeah. the fuck he wants. Uh, and I only had one other one that did it for me. Yeah. Because I wasn't the James Bond era. Mm. Um, love me some Bond. I know you do. Mine is Jason Bourne. Oh, you know how I feel very in the middle about Jason Bourne. I know. But tell me about Jason Bourne, Patrick. It's for me, it's the directing and the storytelling in that. Sure. Matt Damon, he's great. I think you could have found anyone else to play that character and Matt Damon consequently done the rest of the movies you know what i mean i get i don't think that's a Didn't it's not him huh isn't somebody else in the latest born movie wasn't it like jeremy renner or something that... no they did a weird spinoff that was terrible okay and then wasn't matt damon came renner? back and did the movie was it jeremy renner yeah matt damon did a fourth movie though a couple years oh, later okay. To make up for that shitty movie, but it was fine. Dude, Jeremy um, Renner should have just played the same guy that he played in the town. In that. Yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> uh, no, so that was the first movie that I remember watching where a car chase was actually exciting. Um, oh, yeah. And the stakes were important and, and medium um, rare. Yeah, medium rare. Medium <laughs> rare. <laughs> uh, but knowing there was going to be more it allowed for that era of mystery right yeah what is the secret project that he apparently worked on why are they all after him what did he do so wrong during this that he's the bad guy um and it kind of spun forward to so many other things right that's literally the theme of john wick yeah He's technically the good guy, but he's the bad guy. In the third movie, everybody wants to kill him. <laughs> That's the progression of the movies. Like, it goes Jason from, does it by the it first goes one. From nobody really wants to kill you to literally everybody on the planet needs to kill you. And then he goes, bro, fine, I'll kill you with a book. Yeah. Welcome to the library. What? <laughs> what? So it's like, it, it was one of those action movies that I think just has such a long-term effect on how action movies are filmed. Uh, big, big one up to them. Yeah, big bang up. <clears throat> bang up job, y'all. I also had the notebook, but that's no surprise. Um, and we talked about it at the very beginning. Doctor Strange is now on that list of the technical ability that it showed. That is, I just am so astounded that Doctor Strange is, is that high up for you. I know, me too. I love it. I love it. Well, I had to see it again, I just to make sure. If there's any superhero movie that I would rank that high. Give me a moment. I'm that is what I'm most surprised about, is that it's a superhero movie, and I feel this way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, see? Yeah. <laughs> Patrick, what have you been into recently? 
Um, I just finished that short storybook I was telling you about earlier. Um, <clears throat> City of Mist. Um, I have been reading the uncensored Dorian Gray, oh. which is not much different. Just a lot uh, more dick jokes. Um, not even that. That's what's interesting about it. Really, it's more like Lord Henry is just a little gayer. Huh. And it's actually kind of fun to read. <laughs> it's kind of fun to read. I, I quite enjoy it. Um, this is, uh, what's his name? Uh, who's the author of that? Oscar Wilde. Yeah, Oscar, does Oscar Wilde have my favorite death, like, last words ever? Is that him? I, I think it might be. Where, I forget where, what they are, but. Where was uh, either of those curtains go where I do? <laughs> it might be. I don't know his last words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think his last words were uh, either those curtains go or I do. <laughs> He was such an he was he was a character. I mean, he almost went. I think he did go to jail for writing this book. Yeah. So it's it's just an amazing book, and I reread it every couple of years, and I forget how great it is. So here's I just another, read it so fast. Here's another uh, uh, great what what I wish was last words, but they were not last words. <laughs> Uh, but it was said by a man on his deathbed so it is kind of funny to think that he said this and then like would refuse <laughs> to talk for like the next few days until he died because he wanted these to be his last words but they weren't you know what i mean like, yeah. you, you know me dude you know that if i was on my deathbed and i had a really sick last word I would just not speak for the rest of you'd my life. You'd sell the bit. Yeah, you'd sell it. Yeah, but uh, uh, he, he said that uh, he said, dying is easy. Comedy is difficult. Uh, um, <laughs> and uh, sorry, I'm coughing. I can't pause in time for all of them. Uh, No, oh, and then what did we? That's really it. Just that. Yeah, I I, mean, I may read that book now. Oh, Start yeah, that along yeah. with audience audienceology. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, audienceology is coming up, so I got to oh, get yeah, rolling yeah, on that. Yeah. But two weeks should be plenty of time. For sure. Um... What have you been doing? So I have um, been picking up issue two of Beyond the White Knight came out. Now, this is my favorite Batman universe ever. It's called the Murphyverse by this dude, Sean Murphy. He uh, Years ago, he came into the Batman world with the White Knight, which was a story mm-hmm. about Joker going sane. And he kind of goes sane to prove to Batman, like, you're doing worse for this city. If I wasn't crazy, I could fix Gotham faster, better, and more efficiently than you. And so he takes these pills to like take away his insanity 
and starts doing it. Like he he runs for city council, starts cleaning up the crime in Gotham, and it just pisses Batman right the fuck off. Um, it's really good. So he did that, and then a few two years after that, he did a sequel called Curse of the White Knight. And now he's doing part three of the quadrilogy, which he says there's going to be another mini series after this. And this is called Beyond the White Knight, which is so cool because it's still taking all the unique ideas of his version of Batman. But he's also now starting to mix in the mythology of Batman Beyond, which was one of my favorite shows growing up as a, as a kid. And so... I love his Batman universe, man. It feels like so much more like Batman than the only other thing recently that I've read that matches up to it is Tom King's run on Batman, which is astounding. But like Tom King doesn't get the relationship between like Robins and Batgirl and even the relationship between Joker and Batman. It's so unique in the White Knight series that it's really unparalleled for what's going on in, in comic book world right now. Um, I have I have an Xbox and I just beat uh, Assassin's Creed Origins. Nice. Yeah. So that was fun exploring around and killing people in ancient Egypt. Oh yeah, I'm sure you love that. <laughs> I'm on to Odyssey right now. I'm I'm in Greece. Uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm having a good time. I'm having a good time over here. Uh, yeah. Is there anything else that happened that? Uh, oh, uh, me and my mom have been watching Skinwalker Ranch. What? <laughs> what? Skinwalker Ranch. That name sounds familiar. I feel like Steve brought that up. No, you would love uh, Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, I mean, you would love the like lore behind the place. It's supposed to be like the United States, uh, like center on like the paranormal. Like there's oh, okay. reports of like UFOs and cattle mutilations and skinwalker sightings on this ranch going back like 200 years. Oh, so it's and a documentary. The United, United States government for 40 years like we're doing experiments and tests on the land to see if anything you know comes up or was there uh they ended up giving up and so eventually this dude uh fugle i think his name is brandon fugle bought the ranch and he literally said i only bought the ranch because i'm bringing in my own private investigative scientists and reporters to stay on the ranch and do experiments and we're going to get down to the bottom of this. And they record it all and put it on History Channel. That's crazy. It's fucking <laughs> awesome, dude. It's that sounds crazy. like something I'd like, yeah. Yeah, it's really, really good. Obviously, you know, you have to question the truthfulness of everything on it because it is filmed yeah. for television. But... Yeah. I watch fucking pro wrestling. What the fuck do I care? Yeah, just enjoy it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. shit if it's real. I'm here for the fucking story. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fine. And plus, it's super fun watching it with mom. I love how Yeah, it. no, love that's it. the most important part. Yeah, love having someone watching. Uh, Patrick, I love this conversation today. 
That was a fun one. Yeah, this was this was really really cool. Hit you with some history. Yeah, hit me. You hit me with some history. Yeah, that's a rarity. That's a rarity <laughs> for you. Tried. Yeah, normally it's just like hockey statistics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, my man. These people should really just be telling all their friends and family. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Popcultureforce at gmail.com. Yeah, popcultureF. Yeah. Send us some movies. Send us two <laughs> movies to watch. If you and your friends yeah. are in a debate about which movies are superior, send them to us. We'll, we are the, we with Film Harvest are the premier duo movie review podcast on the internet. Are we the only duo movie review podcast because it's a horrible idea? Maybe. (laughs) I disagree. It's great. (laughs) I love it. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, But send us something, guys. We'd love to hear out from you. We'd love to uh, get movie matchups from you listeners. So please send them in. And... uh, I mean, is that it? That it for us today? I think we did it, man. We always do it. Isn't that the thing? Isn't that? But where does Batista fit today? Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, hold up. What was the tale of Genji? Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Over there. <laughs> Over there has been the Vanilla Bear Patrick. Yeah, man. That was a good time. Glad I could oh. hit you with some knowledge. Over here, if you don't know, you should know, has been your chocolate bear Mundo. And as always, hashtag Batista for the audiobook of the secret life of Genji. <laughs> I want Batista yes. doing audibles. 